Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Southern New England's only home for sporting news radio. AM 1320, The Drive. WARL, Attleboro, Providence. Sporting News Radio. Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer on WARL 1320 The Drive with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. We're here every Sunday reviewing the latest action of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer from 7 to 8 p.m. on AM 1320, as well as over the internet at 1320thedrive.com. Joining me today in studio is Tony Biscaya, writer and photographer for ResNet.com. And if you missed the last night, a very disappointing loss for the Revs. Uh, the top two teams going at it. Uh, San Jose top in the Western Conference and the Revs top in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and the Revs came away with a 2 nothing loss uh, to San Jose. Uh, I thought the first 60 minutes, really, the Revs controlled a lot of the match. Uh, but it was unfortunate to go down a goal, and then a stupid play by Daniel Hernandez made them down a man as well, and at that point it was really game over. Uh, it wasn't game over yet, but uh, uh, even though the guys tried hard, it, it's hard to come back when you're down a man. Uh, thanks again for having me on, Sean. Uh, it, it was a tough loss. Uh, San Jose um, had a lot to do with the results, so you know uh, they pressured into things that we maybe didn't want to do. And once they jumped out in front and uh, the game was getting chippy, unfortunately the referee decided to take a hand in things, and it didn't work in our favor this time. Well, I, I thought San Jose's defense looked uh, very solid throughout the whole match, uh, and, and especially when they were down a man. So there was really a great effort by San Jose. Um, the, the Revs tried even with, when they were down a man, but uh, they didn't really seem like they had many chances where they really were going to break through San Jose's defense. So it was a great performance by San Jose, and it will be an interesting matchup if they do face each other in the MLS Cup Final. Yeah, it was a good game plan by San Jose. They uh, didn't take a lot of chances, and they made sure that we didn't get a lot of chances. Uh, we did have a couple. Taylor banged one off the post. That uh, would have made a difference uh, if we had been ahead. Then so San Jose eventually would have had to try to attack, and that might have exposed them in the back, and we might have got a couple more. Unfortunately, when those don't go in, and uh, and then on, on, on the dead ball, which uh, which was a marking mistake on our defensive part, uh, all of a sudden you find yourself uh, uh, trailing, and then uh, we have to open up even more, which uh, they counted very well, and uh, there was Arias, a fine player, he's in great form this year, and he made us pay. And it seemed like they had, uh, on the on the set pieces, they had uh, Michael Parker's covering uh, Brian Ting, it seemed like, which uh, was a little strange considering Brian Ting's really their target man. I thought a guy like Shari Joseph would uh, be covering him. That's really what cost him the first goal as well. You know, San Jose has got a lot of tall guys that are hard to cover. Um, they bring a, a couple of the uh, defenders forward, and um, it's it's really tough to cover all of them. Uh, I'm not sure that it was a man-to-man assignment on on Parker's step on that particular play, um, but uh, Cheng has good mobility and he split a couple of guys. He came forward and got to the ball before they could, and uh, 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 he split the the distance between uh, Matt Reese and uh, Marshall Leonard, who was covering the post. And it was a good goal. You you can't take that away from them when, when they execute. Uh, even though you're doing your job in marking, you're still occasionally going to get beat. So give credit to San Jose. And San Jose was even arresting a player in that game. They had uh, Mark Chung, uh, the, the opted to rest and give the day off for this game. So it makes it even more interesting to see how good they'll be when he comes back and plays for them. Uh, if this does, in fact, turn out to be the MLS Cup matchup, which the way the two teams are playing right now it seems like it is a quite likely a possibility. 
It is. Uh, earlier in the year, we all thought it was Dallas. And, uh, of course, uh, D.C. will have something to say about, uh, you know, any, any of the teams. Uh, if, if you look at the standings, uh, we, we did break away earlier in the year, and we were leading the conference. But um, uh, teams have caught up to us. D.C.'s looked well. Uh, K.C.'s not looked that well lately. But uh, Chicago keeps winning, and even though – uh, we had games on hand in them. You know, they're not that far behind. So uh, out west, there's a little more distinction. San Jose has pulled away. Uh, L.A. has looked good uh, occasionally. <laughs> but they've also looked terrible at times. And, uh, and of course, Dallas has struggled lately. So who knows? Uh, all it takes is a, a, a mini streak of two or three games. And uh, if, you, if you get hot at the right time, have all you guys healthy and available. Um, the, the playoffs are an entirely different, different season. You know? Well, the Revs have certainly proved that in the past, um, making it to the final in 2002 after having a pretty bad regular season, actually winning the Eastern Conference, but that was because uh, the Eastern Conference was so bad that year. But this year it's really different where the Eastern Conference has been a very strong conference. You see a team like the Metro Stars with a winning record who aren't even in the playoffs and likely won't make the playoffs at this point. Uh, so it's, it's really um, a different situation this year as far as playoff standings are and picture like that. But it will be interesting come the postseason. We saw the Revs last year do an upset, uh, the fourth-place team, fourth-seeded team against the first-seeded team against Columbus win it. So it definitely is possible for upsets to take place in the playoffs. Oh, and I guarantee you'll see some. Uh, hopefully we won't be one of them. And uh, I, I think that if we play up to our potential, we definitely have the manpower now. Uh, we have the uh, the good uh, tactics. Uh, we Our squad knows how they have to play to win. Uh, and hopefully we won't count on those last-minute heroics. Uh, we'll come out, establish our game, and jump out in front. Because uh, when we don't, we can see what, what happened as it did last night. And one stat uh, from the game is the corner kicks, in which the Revs had 15 and San Jose only had two. And corner kicks is usually a, a, a great chance to score goals. And when you have 15 of them and you don't put one away, that's uh, a little upsetting to see that stat with the Revs having the 15 corner kicks. Definitely great opportunities to score on those. Uh, and especially with some of the target men they have in the box with Shari Joseph, Clint Dempsey, and guys like Taylor Twelman, it's uh, a, a little surprising to see that many chances go wasted. Well, um, the, 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 the corner kicks in all dead ball situations require a uh, pretty good understanding, you know, having mobile guys that uh, can get to your ball and uh, good serve. And uh, honestly, I didn't think our uh, dead balls were that well served yesterday. You know, Steve's usually pretty good. But uh, with, with the guys that San Jose have in there and with the very tall goalkeeper that they have, uh, we didn't have any uh, balls that were, like, right in the sweet spot. They were either too short and got cleared or they were too long and got intercepted. So, you know, that's something that um, from game to game and depending on the opposition, we're going to have different levels of success. Uh, I think that the team has to recognize that when we play guys that have six-footers on the back line, we can't really rely on corner kicks, although... Uh, it's nice to take it deep and, uh, you know, get the corner kicks, but maybe we need to look at a different way to execute the corner kicks and uh, do what the U.S. national team maybe, you know, takes a couple of short ones and pull them out and then maybe uh, try to get it in there. Without that variety, I think it's easier to defend. So I'm sure these are things that they'll be uh, looking at. Uh, and uh, depending on the matchups we end up with in the playoffs, I'm, I'm sure Steve Nickel and the team will talk about all the options. And the other guy who really took a lot of the set pieces early in the year, Jose Cancela uh, was out with an injury, but he was actually on the bench and available to play in this game, uh, so that's hopefully a sign that he'll be available 
Uh, maybe even this weekend when uh, the Revs have an upcoming game when they'll be without Hernandez due to the red card. They can certainly use a player like that, especially when they're likely to have to put Clint Dempsey up at four with Taylor Trump with the national team and Pat Noonan possibly out injured. Yeah, that's true. That's why um, uh, it's great to have the extended squad, but uh, I'm not sure that uh, Jose Cancelo is 100%. Um, I think that he can play. Uh, he might be playing in pain, and I'm not sure that uh, he's been uh, practicing full tilt, so he may not be 100% peak conditioning, but the guy's talented, and uh, that might be the kind of situation in the dead balls where he can uh, put a few in there where you know our guys can get to him. So, yeah, it's it's always bad to be missing people, and this will be the last thing for the national team players, and it comes right down the stretch of the MLS uh, uh, season-ending games just before we go into the playoffs. It hurts some teams more than others, and, uh, of course, with our success, we've had the call-ups. But um, uh, I think that uh, the guys that, uh, like you said, that we have on the bench – can step in, you know, they're, they're, it's a shame that Andy Dorman's not playing 90 minutes and that Jose Cancelo's not playing, but this is their opportunity. And I don't think you're going to see that much of a, a downward slide in the level of play of our team. And as far as the call-ups, I think, uh, according to Frank Delapa, T- Taylor Twelman's the only one who's going to be uh, missing for this Saturday, so uh, a little lucky in that sense, only lost one player for that game, especially with uh, the suspension of Daniel Hernandez, so they'll be missing him as well, so uh, I think they were a little lucky that they only had one person called up. Yeah, unfortunately, Taylor is probably the one irreplaceable guy that we have. Uh, our midfielders, uh, they're all pretty well-rounded players. Some have defensive strength. Some have uh, better creativity. Uh, but when it comes to finishing, I don't think we can come close to putting anybody else up there that has the instincts and uh, the, the killer instinct that uh, Taylor Tolman does and, and uh, finishing ability, the mobility, the fearlessness that it takes to be a good striker in this league. I don't know where we're going to get the goals, but uh, uh, we've got we found a way to get goals when Tolman was out early in the season, so uh, it will be up to other guys like, you know, Clint Dempsey needs to score a couple and uh, some of the other guys uh, that uh, Steve Nichols is going to get in there. It will be their time. And, uh, you know, hopefully they'll come through for us. Well, it certainly will be difficult if uh, Pat Noonan is out as well. We don't know the extent of that injury yet. Uh, he was acting like it was a calf injury. There's been sometimes that may be a Achilles tendon injury, but uh, he's certainly been a key guy for the Revs. And recent, recently he hasn't been scoring the goals, but he's been providing a lot of assists uh, on Taylor Twelman's goal, seven assists this season. Uh, so he's been a key member in the Revs' attack as well that he could possibly be out for this Saturday's game. Yeah, that hurts. Uh, then again, remember, if, if uh, Pat Noonan had been 100% for the last uh, three months, he'd be get, probably be getting called in along with Taylor Tolman, so we'd probably be missing him anyways. Uh, hopefully he's not out very long, and uh, uh, he doesn't miss practice, so he can stay in pretty good shape. Uh, I'm not really aware what the injury was uh, or how long it will keep him out, but um Obviously, you want to have guys at 100%, but uh, that's not possible. And uh, the, the flip side of that is all the other teams are going to have guys that are going to have little nicks and may not be at 100% either. So um, this is why we have extended squads, and it's uh, a, a really good year for that, actually, because uh, we have a, a, a lot more depth than we've ever had before. And uh, we were talking about, earlier you mentioned the red card uh, to Daniel Hernandez and uh, the refereeing of that game. Uh, the ref was actually being assessed at that game. There's a referee assessor there. It'll be interesting to see what happens because uh, that was a great game for him to be out there and see how the ref is doing. Um, I, I thought the ref called a pretty good first half and was letting the teams play, not calling out ridiculous little chippy fouls or anything, but 
Uh, the second half he seemed to be completely different in the way he was calling it, calling things he wouldn't have called in the first half, giving cards for things he wouldn't have given cards in the second half. And I'm not really sure why that change happened, but uh, that really cost the Rebels when he gave the red card to Daniel Hernandez and uh, then giving a few yellow cards that I'm not sure were deserved to guys like Shari Joseph. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. I thought that in the first half, I didn't really notice the referees, and that's always a good thing. Uh, unfortunately, in the second half, as you say, but we noticed them a lot more. Um, there seemed to be more interaction, uh, not only with the, the, the play getting uh, a little tougher out there where everybody uh, was making tougher challenges, but uh, that maybe he started to interact with the players more. And um, I, I think that he was looking for certain things where maybe in the first half he wasn't. And uh, if you're looking for that, you, you, you know, you're going to find it. And, and I think that's um, what happened to Daniel uh, on right after they scored. I think the referee expected that we were going to start to retaliate in some way or try to play harder. And uh, the, when I looked at that play, it seemed to me that uh, Hernandez was actually challenged from behind. And he turned his body and prepared himself to, to, for the impact. And, uh, you know, these guys are professionals, and they protect themselves, and they put their elbows up because if you don't, you're going to get the other guy's elbow in the back of your head. And um, if, if the other guy is not doing that and he's instead play acting and, and going in with his face and then pretending that you hit him, the, if the referee buys that act, I'm not saying that's specifically what happened here, but those are the scenarios that the referees have to be aware of because these guys are pros, and they'll try to draw the foul and if you don't see what is uh, an intentional foul and what's uh, you know um, rough play with with malice versus you know just trying to protect yourself, I think Daniel was protecting the ball and he saw a guy coming and uh, just uh, just put his body out there. Uh, Daniel's a bigger guy, so it may look like the other guy took the worst of it, and you know maybe it was his own fault. So uh, I'm not a referee. <laughs> I'll end it with that. Well, head coach Steve Nichols didn't seem to be too happy with the red card, and he talked about that in the post-game press conference, and I talked about um, trying to dispute that and possibly get it revoked, and we can play that for you now. And Steve Nichols' comments on the red card. For the 60 minutes before they they got the nose in front, you know we basically went on them. I think we probably had maybe one, maybe two to maximum chances where we thought we would score. You know, the final third, you know, that, that last ball just wasn't quite there. <laughs> We've gone at them all night. They've defended well. You know, they get a goal ahead. You know, the sending off is just a joke, uh, which obviously changes the game. You know, the, the officiating tonight, you know, the guy was given the guy was given fouls that weren't fouls, and, and he wasn't given fouls that were fouls. I mean, some of the, some of the stuff he was given tonight was mystifying. Uh, and ultimately it affected the game. You know, go down to ten men. We can be we can be very proud of our team because again we just kept going at them. Uh, even with ten men, you know they scored the goal on the break, which they're good at that. Uh, um, Rosario scored a good goal, no complaints. But you know we we didn't do too much wrong tonight. We went after them, um, but obviously going to ten men was 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 a real problem for us. Um, and it's sad because it was a it was a it was a good game. Uh, they're a good team. We're a good team. Unfortunately, the referee took too much part in the game tonight. He was he was too much uh, involved in the outcome. You thought the elbow wasn't intentional, but he did. Did you see the elbow at all? It wasn't an elbow at all. It's a shoulder. Yeah, it's called a shoulder charge in soccer. Yeah, legally, you're allowed to defend yourself by using your shoulder to fend off your opponent. I don't know what else I can say. You know, to say he elbowed him in the face is. Uh, Wrong. Did you see that through the replay, or was it from your angle? From it was right in front of me, right in front of me. 
No, the final, the final third, we we didn't, you know, we weren't as sharp as we've been. I mean, that's that's the only that's the only thing I can say. You know, the the, the way we tried to play, some of the play we had in the first half, especially, um, was excellent. We put them under a hell of a lot of pressure for for the majority of the game, whether we had eleven or ten men. So you know, we have we have we can be proud of our team. We have. Uh, no complaints. Sometimes, sometimes it's not going to happen for you, and that seemed to be the case tonight. You know. Stephen, what, what did you tell the team after when you got back in the locker after the final whistle? So, uh, you know, we've uh, we've nothing to be ashamed of. We uh, our effort and uh, the way we tried to do things and the commitment was was uh, superb. You know, I said earlier. Until we went one down, we were, we were the team that was really pushing pushing the button. We were the one putting the pressure on. And even when we went to ten men, we still kept going at them. So we can have no complaints. Uh, one of those nights where it just never happened for us in the final third, they're in the penalty box. And that was head coach Steve Nickel on uh, last night's 2 nothing loss to the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll be back with uh, some more Revolution Recap. sports injury or that pain in your knee that's becoming more than just a pain in your knee, Coastal Orthopedics is with you every step of the way. The friendly doctors at Coastal Orthopedics will help get you back to a normal lifestyle. ACL rehabilitation, scoliosis, shoulder arthroscopy, knee ligament injuries, knee arthroscopy, rotator cuff injuries, to total knee replacement. Coastal Orthopedics has three convenient locations to serve you, two in Fall River and one in New Bedford. If you're an athlete with an injury, Coastal Orthopedics is your first choice for top quality care. And the doctors at Coastal Orthopedics understand you don't need to be an athlete to need the best in orthopedic care. So if you have an injury, think of Coastal Orthopedics, 235 Hanover Street and 1030 President Avenue in Fall River and 84 Grape Street in New Bedford. 508-646-9525. Coastal Orthopedics, with you every step of the way. Revolution Recap. 
with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome back to our Revolution Recap. Joining me today in studio is Tony Biscaya of RevNet.com. And uh, we were talking about the loss last night, tuning up into the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, San Jose has really been a surprise team this season. Uh, I don't think many people would have expected them to be first place in the league at this point, uh, losing Landon Donovan, uh, a few other players as well, Richard Mulrooney. So it's, it's a surprise to see them up here at the top of the league. They did bring in a few players, Wade Barrett and Danny Califf, who have really shored up their defense. Uh, but they've also lost a leader like Jeff Agus and uh, Troy Dyack. So uh, really a team that's lost a lot of players and had a lot of change over the years, and now it's surprising that they're where they are today. Well, they've had a couple of guys that really stepped up their game. Uh, most noticeably, the uh, other uh, very strong candidate for MVP, uh, Dwayne De Rosario, who made his pay uh, on a good counterattack uh, last night and uh, put the game away. Up to that point, uh, there was still hope that if we could uh, recover and uh, put one in and score a goal, uh, we might have got points out of the game, but uh, he put the dagger in there. Um, so not only is he scoring, uh, he's become their playmaker. So he's taken over maybe the role that uh, Landon Donovan used to have, where he's a very fast, good dribbler, and he opens the game up for other players. Um, Brian Mullen has always been you know, a, a real hustling type of player. He's the kind of guy you hate when he's on the other side, and um, you you wouldn't mind so much if he was on your side. Um, but, you know, most of their players are well-rounded. They don't really have any weaknesses. So that that's what it takes to be a winning team. And now uh, we're talking about uh, the call-ups of Taylor Twelman for uh, this weekend's game. But also um, there's the game on Wednesday, October 12th, right here at Gillette Stadium against Panama. And uh, the players that got called up for that, there were seven Revolution players called up for the U.S., Clint Dempsey, Jay Heaps, Daniel Hernandez, Pat Noonan, Steve Ross, and Matt Reese, and Taylor Twelman all called up for the U.S. in that uh, game. And they'll also probably be Ricardo Phillips playing for Panama. So game right here in Foxborough, and you could possibly see eight Revolution players taking place. Uh, that would be great. They're, if, you know, if they're all eligible and they're all healthy, that, that would be a, a, a very good time for Bruce to take a look at some of them in, in comfortable surroundings. Um, a, a couple of those guys definitely uh, have a very good shot at uh, making the final team uh, that's going over to Germany. So for them to have the ability, uh, the opportunity to play in front of home fans and um, you know in a game that's uh, relatively relatively low pressure, although every game that's a qualifier is a very important game, and any time you play for your country, you, you want to do your best. I'm sure that Bruce wouldn't think of uh, just playing a guy and take a chance on uh, not winning the game as a result. I, I think he'll play the strongest possible squad, but I also think that he's not going to bring in European players, which opens some doors for some of these guys. And um, let's face it, the, the Revs have had a great season, and those guys deserve the opportunity, and this this might be the perfect time. And there's definitely a few guys there that are uncapped. Jay Heaps, Daniel Hernandez, and Matt Reese have yet to make an appearance for the U.S. national team. Uh, but players like that, have a, I, I'd say they have an outside chance of making the World Cup roster at this point, even even though they've been uncapped, because you see a guy like Steve Trundle, who's really taken the right back spot, uh, but he's out injured for two weeks, so Jay Heaps, well, I think, has, has a good shot at starting in that game, possibly at right back. And that's not really a position where the U.S. has really established a, a great backup to Steve Trundle at that position. And I think that's a spot that maybe Jay Heaps could take it the way he's been playing this year for the Revolution. Yes, uh, it would be a, a good time for Bruce to take a look at a, at a guy like Jay. Um, he's a, a heck of an athlete and um, maybe having the comfort of playing in his own stadium and uh, possibly with a couple of his teammates uh, at the same time uh, definitely would be a great opportunity for Jay. And then as far as goalkeeping situation, uh, we all know Casey Keller is going to be the starter. Obviously, he's, 
healthy. Uh, but back up to him, it's become unclear that Tim Howard's not playing anymore for Manchester United, so it seems like he may have fallen out of favor for the backup role. And then a guy like Marcus Hanneman, he seems like he has gotten a chance, and he might get it, but there's also... Uh, in the past, he's taken three goalkeepers, and it'll likely be the same this year. So I think Matt Reese has a chance of getting that spot too if he performs well for the national team. Yeah, Matt's um, uh, in the running for you know maybe keeper of the year. Uh, he's had a couple of tough games. Um, uh, I think maybe we jinxed him, Sean. Last time I was on here, we were talking about how his goals against average was uh, hovering around one goal a game, and maybe he could go under for the season. Then of course uh, we had the game in New York where we let in five, uh, but. Uh, I, I don't think Bussarin is looking at the, the totals like that and, and the statistics in any one given game. Um, goals against, and uh, you know, the, as you know, the, the defense on this team isn't a result of any given individual. Uh, uh, a lot of it has to do with teamwork, and uh, Matt's proven that uh, he's very good at organizing the defense in front of him, and uh, he's, he's got uh, great reflexes, and um, if, if he has the chance, I think he'd do very well for the U.S. Well, when you talk about goalkeeper of the year, uh, I believe it was two years ago when Joe Cannon won it. He had a game where he gave up six goals to the Revs, and he still managed to win it. So I don't think it's out of the question for Matt Reese to get goalie of the year. But a guy like Pat Onstad, who does have the better averages at this point and the better statistics, uh, probably stands a better chance at this point. Yeah, and uh, I, as I just mentioned, uh, a lot of the credit for goal goalkeeping stats and uh, the credit that they get it is uh, a team effort, definitely. Uh, it starts... Uh, with the forwards first, uh, to a lesser degree, but then, you know, if your midfield helps your defense and your defense holds the forward pretty much and you don't have to make a lot of tough saves, uh, I've seen uh, keepers um, that have to make uh, a tremendous number of saves and they're never in the running, even though you, every time you see those guys, you say, wow, these guys are great and they have to make a lot of saves. But, um, you know, it's tough to judge, and uh, I think what Bruce is going to be looking at is uh, he knows the level of competition internationally, and uh, he has to look inside these guys' heads and see who plays well under pressure. And I think Matt's uh, proven that, you know, in big games he's stepped up and he's performed for us, and I, th I think he'd do the same for the U.S. Well, you mentioned uh, the forwards defending, and I think that's been a key part of the Revs' success this year, uh, where in a game where they were without a guy like Taylor Twelman, I believe it was against D.C. when they had their first loss of the season, that was really a game where the forwards were not really putting the pressure on the defense and not really causing the turnovers. And, and even though it doesn't seem like the forwards are, when you think about it, that the forwards are going to be a big part of the defense, but when you have two guys up there running and pressuring and causing the defenders of the opposing team to maybe not make the best passes and rush their passes and cause a few turnovers, and that really makes a big difference. Definitely. I'm sure that our defenders would tell you that when the other teams do that to us, it makes it, makes it much tougher for us to the, bring the ball out and get an attack started. So it, it works both ways. And when we're talking about the U.S. national team, San Jose's got several players who have been called up to that game as well with uh, Wade Barrett, Danny Califf, Brian Ching, and Ricardo Clark all getting called up. So both teams are really possibly having a... Uh, if you put them together, you could really make the first 11 of the U.S. out of just those two teams for that upcoming qualifier against Panama. You could, and uh, early early in the season, it seemed like uh, you know Dallas was getting quite a few guys called in, and uh, uh, we were too. And uh, like I said, call-ups uh, hurt the good teams more than they do the average or, or teams that aren't having such a great season. So it's a, it's a, a double-edged sword. You want to do very well, and then uh, you're, you're happy for you guys when they get called up, but then it, it hurts the team performance, and uh, it probably hurt our momentum in the middle of the season when we had all the international games, and uh, hopefully it's not going to upset uh, uh, the, the, the ability for us to 
finish strong and go into the playoffs on on a on a positive note. Well, luckily, uh, the, the with the playoffs coming up, that there are no international matches scheduled for those fixtures. It would really be a shame to see a team uh, lose players to international matches during the playoffs and really follow the playoffs because of that. But uh, as much as play, as much as it can hurt regular season hopes, uh, where the Revs are now, I think they'll just be glad that they'll be able to have all their players for uh, the playoffs as long as they're healthy. Definitely. Uh, uh, other teams like in the past like, that were always uh, historically good, like DC, they're still one of our strongest competitors. And uh, all, all of a sudden now they're not getting, uh, they're not losing players to the international games. So it it, it does affect uh, various teams. Some some teams lose no players. Some lose one or two. Uh, we could lose as many as uh, it looks like, uh, as you said, with seven or eight might uh, be playing. But they they should still be available for the club. So we'll see how it pans out. It definitely we were mentioned. Uh, Cardinal Phillips called up to Pano for that game, and also Avery John will be missing uh, for Saturday as well as probably Wednesday uh, for Trinidad and Tobago. So the U.S. has a strong contingent of international players. There's been some talk of uh, the Revs having 11 players to put out on the field, that maybe being the first team in MLS to have 11 international players out on the field. It seems like if those seven players get captain, it certainly will be easier for them to do that. Yeah, uh, it, it, uh, it's a good uh, measuring stick for the quality of the, the team that we have this year, uh, having that many guys that uh, get recognized by by their own countries and get called up to represent the country. Uh, it, as I said, it, it hurts when they all get called up at once, but uh, you know, Avery John's not even really seen much playing time for the Revolution. Then again, uh, all it takes is that one red card or that that one injury and knock, and all of a sudden you need those guys, and they become a key to your uh, maintaining the level of play, and uh, you know, not becoming uh, a weak team with, that has uh, spots that other teams can exploit. So it, it's really important that these guys that we have depth at every position, and uh, that when we do put one of those guys in there. We're not even necessarily getting weaker. We might even get stronger in some aspects. Uh, well, Steve Nichols seems to, um, during, throughout the middle of the season and the hottest days of the summer, he seemed to use substitutions a lot more frequently and really went through three substitutions a game more often, something that we hadn't seen out of in the past. But recently it seems like that has died down as well, and he has stopped using the subs as much. Uh, we're on the bench last night. He only made two substitutions, and one of them was due to injury. And the other one has really been something that he's done all along when taking out um, Marshall Leonard and putting in Kano Smith for more offensive uh, lineup, and I can't think of the reasoning behind that, not using all your substitutions, especially when you have a guy like Ricardo Phillips out there who could really help with your offense, so that's a little surprising, too, that Steve Nichol hasn't been taking full advantage of his bench. Yeah, and Steve is not uh, the kind of guy that's, uh, you know, uh, going to come out and uh, t- tell you all the motives behind all of his moves and or the lack of moves, so we'll never know what he's thinking, uh, but uh, when you have tough matchups like this, I, I think that he wants continuity. He wants the guys that they're, to know that they're in it. And then there are some pre-planned moves. It seems that uh, while Jose Cancelo was playing, that was one of them, that he'd come out at a certain time in the game, almost regardless of uh, how the game was running. And lately it's been uh, that left side. I, I think what it amounts to is that no one's really stepped up and, and made it their own spot uh, without a doubt that they should be in the entire game, every game, the way of Steve Ralston or some of those other guys that uh, just uh, step in like Danny Hernandez has 
and uh, said, you know, to the coach, but with their play, that uh, you must play me, and uh, you you don't want to take me out because I'm your best player. Well, I think Marshall Leonard has been playing uh, pretty well recently, really working hard. Maybe his uh, offense and crosses haven't been there, but uh, I think he's been getting back defensively, getting forward in the attack, and I think he's looked better recently than maybe he did at the start of the season. So I I don't think he's too bad of an option to have there. No, that, and that's why he's uh, one of our starters. Um, he's a, a very good uh, MLS player. Um, could he be stronger? Uh, does he have weaknesses? Uh, is he a perfect player? There's not, there's not too many of those. Um, what Marshall does well, like you said, he covers a lot of ground. He's, he's fairly quick. He, he's uh, very tenacious. He gets back on defense. So uh, it, it's not a really a weak spot for us. But I think Steve's looking for more offensive contributions, and uh, Marshall will give you a good cross. Uh, if he can get down to the corner, uh, but he can't do it on his own. He's not. Uh, he doesn't have the stride like a uh, Kanu Smith is, and I think that's why uh, Steve made that uh, substitution because he felt maybe uh, we wanted a guy that could go one on one and get deeper and make the cross. It's a gamble. Um, you know, having fresh legs in there. If it was the other way around, uh, if Marshall came in when the the defense is tiring, maybe he'd look like he was faster uh, as Kanu does, but. Uh, it, it's Steve Nichols' team, and uh, he knows their strengths and weaknesses, and he's he's got a a plan that uh, hopefully, I mean, look look at the changes he's made, and uh, the guys that have come in and and made a positive contribution, like James Riley, the game before, when you put the guy in, he hasn't played a whole lot, and he comes in, he contributes strongly at both ends. Canu uh, Smiths had a couple of games like that, so you, you got to believe that uh, Steve Nichol is a better evaluator of his own team than any of us that can talk about it. Well, and I'm talking about the offense. A guy like Clint Dempsey, who started off the season so strong and seemed like the odds-on favorite for MVP of the league after just two months, has really settled down, and his scoring hasn't been there, and the assists haven't been there as much now. So uh, a guy like him, I thought he was doing excellent at the start of the year, was the best player in the league. But I, I really thought that after this time with the U.S. national team, um, that he kind of took a hit when uh, Bruce Arena kind of, talked down about his play, said he wasn't up to the speed of play with the national team yet, and since then it seems like maybe he lost a little bit of confidence to go one-on-one or to take that final shot, but he just seems to not have been be playing as well as he was at the start of the season. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough to uh, try to understand what happens. Uh, I mean, that seemed to happen uh, the last go-round with Clint Mathis, where he was having such a great year in MLS, and then uh, because of maybe his lack of uh, self-discipline, uh, Bruce took issue with with some of his training techniques and or lack of dedication, and that seemed to affect his play. And he's never been the same player. I think that Clint Dempsey is on a different level as far as his work ethic. Clint, Clint's out there, and uh, he's he's a worker. He's going to give you 100 uh, percent. The timing and uh, the ability to communicate with his teammates seems to have suffered because of the shuffling back and forth. Uh, but I think that once these guys are together. For you know, like I think that not necessarily this game, but the game before, I thought Clint looked very strong. Uh, he did maybe a little too much dribbling this last game, and when he takes his shots, uh, it seems like his concentration's lacking a little bit. He's not getting 100% power behind him, and and he's not making those slashing runs where he's getting in. And and the timing is everything. And um, when you get to the end of those crosses and put him in. Uh, people don't notice what you did the other 89 minutes, but that's what it's going to take for Clint to build up his confidence is to just uh, uh, come through on a couple of those, and uh, I'm sure that his uh, teammates have full confidence in Clint, and uh, I'm sure his coach does, and 
As fans, we have to, to believe that uh, he's a special player and that it's a matter of time until he comes back and, and gets to the same level. Well, it seemed to me his de- confidence definitely took a hit uh, in the Gold Cup. I thought he was playing uh, pretty well for the U.S. I didn't think he looked that bad, and Bruce Arena made those comments. And then it seemed like in the final game against Panama, he played just like Bruce Arena had been t- saying that he had been playing before when it didn't really seem like he had been playing that way. And um, I don't, I'm not sure why Bruce Arena took that approach and, and talked that way about him when uh, they also see a guy like Santino Caranto who hadn't looked good with the national team. Uh, Bruce Arena started to talk like he had been playing well when he really hadn't been, and then that seemed to boost his confidence and made him play better. I'm not sure why he took a different approach with Clint Dempsey, but it seems to have had the opposite effect. Yeah, it, it's uh, one of those uh, psychological things where maybe you do what's expected of you. And uh, not to say that uh, Clint uh, felt like he, there was less expected of him. Uh, it's just maybe that uh, he started to perceive himself the way that other people were telling him that they perceived him. And uh, as a player, you can't you can't really do that. You you got to play to your strengths. Uh, I think um, part of the reason that uh, his game slowed down a bit is because they, uh, in my opinion, he started being played out of position. He was uh, given the 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 job that normally falls to a, a front runner who's used to being up there. And uh, and I don't think Clint was used to that at at that time. And I don't think he adapted that well because, uh, for, for whatever reason, he didn't have the support, uh, maybe of his teammates, and uh, maybe he got a little frustrated. And um, now that he's back at midfield with the Rebs, um, I, I think it's uh, taken a few games, but uh, I, I think you're, you're going to see him hit his stride again. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I think Clint's going to score a couple of crucial goals for us down the stretch and in the playoffs. And now we were mentioning uh, Hernandez with the red card. The upcoming game against Kansas City, a lot of players are going to be missing for that. Hernandez, we know for sure, with the red card. Twelman most likely uh, caught for the national team. Uh, Pat Noonan, it seems like there's a good chance with his injury he might be missing. Uh, so the Reds are going to have to make some changes in the lineup. Uh, Avery John won't be available with the Trinidad and Tobago national team. Obviously, he hasn't been starting recently, but he's another guy that they might have wanted to fill into the lineup um, if they had, the, if they had the, him available when, with those other guys missing. So it'll be interesting to see what the lineup looks like uh, coming next Saturday against Kansas City. It will be, and uh, Kansas City's been struggling. They need the points. Uh, they lost this week. Uh, uh, I, I saw the highlights uh, on the MLS Rap Show, and uh, they, they had a couple of good opportunities. They just haven't been able to put the ball in the net, and that, that's uncharacteristic. That, not that Kansas City's a, a, a scoring juggernaut, but uh, they usually get a, a goal or two per game, and, and they play a solid game, so that's usually going to get them some points. But in the last five or six games, uh, they've fallen down the standings and they've failed to win even at home. And I'm sure they're uh, starting to feel a little bit of pressure and uh, they've got to get the, a little momentum going into the playoffs because right now uh, is the time when with the, just a few games left, you've got to get that uh, confidence level up. And it seems like they're taking an approach of uh, starting Precky now where they haven't really started all season. Uh, just recently announced his retirement. Um, and he's been a dangerous threat in the past. Obviously out last season with the injury, this season hasn't played too much, but it's still created uh, some late goals for them coming off the bench, and it'll be interesting to see if he starts again uh, when they face the Rebs. Uh, yes, uh, with, with a talent like Precky, uh, the guy's ageless. He's not going to cover the same amount of ground he did when he was younger, but uh, if, if you give him uh, a couple of inches, the guy can turn on you and score a goal. He's got a lethal left foot, as everybody knows. Uh, I'm actually more concerned about the other uh, candidate for rookie of the year, uh, Seeley, who again uh, is another guy that uh, seems to be kind of streaky. He had a, a great stretch where he scored a lot of goals, got a lot of people talking about him for rookie of the year. 
and then uh, he st- all of a sudden the goals didn't come, and uh, and now he hasn't seen uh, the playing time, you know, in the the full 90. Uh, of course, now the other guy out, out on the West Coast, uh, Hercules Gomez, uh, has started to make an impact and has people talking about him. And anytime any of those up-and-coming players, uh, Hercules actually played a couple of games, I think, in 2003. So I'm not sure technically he's a rookie and qualified for rookie year. Yeah, I think this is actually his. Uh, third or fourth season, he actually, he actually came to the Galaxy in 2002 originally, so I don't right. think he'd be eligible. Right, but uh, I think our own rookie, uh, in my mind, is, is still the front runner. He's been there, he's, he's been a rock on defense. Uh, every defense is going to let in a goal here and there, so um, you, you can't blame him uh, for the times that uh, we don't keep clean sheets. But uh, overall, uh, for consistency and for level of play, I don't think anyone approaches what uh, Michael Parker has done for the Revolution this year. Well, you mentioned uh, Scott Staley for Rookie of the Year, but he's the guy that yeah, has nine goals so far this season, but he hasn't scored in over a month, uh, and he's really lost his starting spot recently, and now he's on the bench, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. But in my mind, with a, with a guy who started every game, played every minute of every game like Parkhurst, and one of the best defenses in the league. You really have to look at him before you look at a Ford, who really has played almost ten less games minute-wise than Parkhurst, and has been a, uh, a substitute recently. Yeah, um, it, it's a tough call because defenders don't really get noticed all that well. Um, and and lately we haven't been uh, getting the shutouts. If if we if you get a streak of shutouts, um, the goalie gets recognition, and along with that, the defenders do as well. Um, Michael Parker's, regardless of the score, uh, the the number of opportunities that, uh, if, if you look at the level of play of the Revolution defense, this is the best season we've ever had. And the the main change from the last couple of seasons is Michael Parker's. The other guys have been there. We've uh, played four four twos, three five twos. We've had uh, high level talent back there, including Carlos Shimosa, uh and you know uh, Avery John, and you know guys who played in the middle like Rusty Pierce. You know they were all pretty high level players, and uh, nobody has achieved the the level of consistency and. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, the reliability uh, and in fact that he's not a very physical player and he's managed to stay healthy against uh, a a lot of very tough competition in MLS so Overall, it's tough to argue against Michael Parker's for rookie year. And uh, talking about the game against Kansas City, uh, the Revs that we mentioned were missing several players, but Kansas City likely will be too. Uh, Davey Arnott out, out due to uh, caution points. Um, and then uh, Scott Seeley will likely be, probably be missing from that game too, called up to Trinidad and Tobago uh, most likely. And Josh Wolf will probably be called up to uh, the U.S. national team. So that's a lot of Kansas City's offense gone right there. Right. And uh, Diego Gutierrez has um, not played a whole lot lately. Uh, he had some physical... Uh, uh, minor injuries that um, I'm not sure that he's 100% yet or whether he's even in the picture uh, but but they have a lot of guys that uh, like Alex Otinka they, they have a lot of talented players that uh, they're similar to us in that they have enough depth where they, if they rotate some guys in and out uh, the level of uh, the quality of the team play doesn't really change a whole lot yeah, so that the odds are that Preck, you probably will start with those guys missing, and that's a great guy to have with your bench, two-time MVP. Obviously not at the level he used to be, but still it's proven to be a great player this season with some of the chances he's created. Yeah, and that's uh, going to be up to our guys to take the, to take the game to them and, and uh, to make them run because uh, a guy like Preck, he's maybe not going to keep up with our younger guys and, and it might give us uh, additional uh, ball control in the midfield and um, more scoring opportunities uh, as long as... Uh, 
we don't uh, allow counterattacks and don't expose ourselves because then, of course, uh, an experienced player like Precky and uh, with the shot that he's got, you, you can't allow that. Uh, so uh, I have confidence. I think we can go down there and get points. Uh, I, I think we need about uh, five points to... to uh, established the uh, home superiority in the East. So it was just four because uh, four. The whole, they had the Reds hold the tiebreaker with DC oh, United. So. That's right. So if, if we get even just a point there and then uh, take care of business uh, against New York, uh, we should be fine regardless of what DC does. Well, we're going to take a quick break here and then we'll be back with some more Revolution Recap. family need a car, use caution because some dealers just miss the mark a little. At Saturn of Seacock on Route 44, we take the hassle out of your car buying experience. At Saturn of Seacock, it's extremely easy. We give you our best price the very first time. No haggling, no hassling. It's honest up front. It's the Saturn of Seekonk way. And now we're open Sundays, too, to fit your schedule and make it even easier. Plus, extra help if your credit isn't perfect. Call Saturn of Seekonk at 1-888-350-1534. Plus, come to Massachusetts and we finance your sales tax. Call 1-888-350-1534. Saturn of Seekonk, Route 44, number one. So bye, bye, bye. Now, you got to admit, you must be tired. So call 1-888-350-1534 for Saturn of Seacom, a Herb Chambers quality dealership. For 120 years, the Sun Chronicle newspaper has been providing Southern Massachusetts with the best in local news. And now, the Sun Chronicle is available in stores and on racks every day by 6 a.m. But that's not all. When you open your Sun Chronicle, you'll find three new tabloid-sized pull-out sections. There's The Place, written by teenagers for teenagers. The Place will feature interviews with local high schoolers and also contain student art, as well as what's hot in music and Hollywood. You can also look for the Sun Chronicle's newly designed pull-out sports section. Not only will you continue to get the Sun Chronicle's award-winning coverage of local and pro sports, but you, the reader, can sound off in the all-new sports forum. Finally, look out for the get-out section every Thursday for a helpful way to plan your weekend. Get Out offers theater reviews, as well as listings of night spots, restaurants, and movies. Get Out will also provide best bets to help you make the most of your leisure time. The Sun Chronicle newspaper, your very best source for local news. And now back to Revolution Recap with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. Joining me in studio is uh, Tony Biscaya of RevNet.com. And now we're over the phone. We have our Revolution fan, David Yellup. Dave, can you hear me? Yeah. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? Uh, well, I'm doing a lot better than I was about 10 o'clock last night, I'll tell you that. Uh, 
bit of a disappointing loss. Could have really been a big win for the team, but, you know, that's why they play the game every week. And uh, what did you think of the foul? Was that worthy of a red card or was uh, that a bad call? Well, I, I don't want to say what exactly I think of it, but let's just say I think it was highly questionable. And, uh, <laughs> um, he may, at worst, he made a meal of it. Uh, he definitely exaggerated it at least a little bit. And uh, I, I think that it was a bad call, but you know you, you can't put yourself in such a situation where the, the opposing player can earn a red card and put you down a man for the last 30 minutes in that situation. So it was a bad play by Daniel to uh, get the elbow up in an area where it could be construed like that, but Moreno made a meal of it, and the ref bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Well, uh, Steve Ralston was talking about after the game... Uh, how he really called two different halves. The first half, he was letting lots of things go by and uh, really wasn't too involved. And I, I thought that, was, that he had a great first half, actually, better than uh, a lot of the refs I've seen so far. Uh, but then in the second half, Ralston talked about how he really changed it and was calling things he wasn't calling before, giving cards for things he wasn't giving cards for. And I have to agree with that, that he really played two different halves. And uh, what did you think of his performance in the first half compared to the second half? Well, the best compliment you can play, pay a referee is consistency. Uh, if you're consistent in your calls, you know, calling the same thing the same way for both teams, then you're doing your job. You know, you can differ on certain calls, but as long as you're calling the same things, fouls on the same team, then that's perfectly fine. What happened in the second half, however, wasn't. Just plain and simple wasn't. Things that were fouls or cards on the revolution were, you know, the ref gave you a wave and told you to play on if it was against the refs. And uh, with the Revs, they obviously had uh, 15 corner kicks compared to San Jose Earthquakes, too. Um, you can blame the loss on the, on the ref, but also it's, it's pretty bad when you have 15 corner kicks and you can't put one of those away. Yeah, and, and not, not just the corner kicks, um, set pieces in general and strategy. When the Revs went down a man in the 61st minute, uh, they reverted to a very basic strategy, kick the ball over the top and hope one of you guys went up and got it for a header on net. And that, didn't, that wasn't going to work against San Jose because they have a very, very big uh, back line. So, you, you know, you had to play the ball more on the ground, more against them. Fortunately, when you're down a man, your passing lanes are very restricted, so not much you could do. And uh, looking at San Jose, they were a team that really at the start of the season, I thought that uh, really, really might not even make the playoffs. I thought a team like Real Salt Lake might do better than they had, and San Jose might be at the bottom losing a guy like Landon Donovan, Richard Mulroney, and it's a really a surprise to see them where they are now today, um, and I think for that reason that Dominic Kinnear will probably get coach of the year over Steve Nichol, uh, but with a team like San Jose, um, what do you think that has made, has made them do so well compared to past years um, where they've had a lot better players and they've obviously had their success, but after losing so many players, what do you think has been the key to their success this year? Well, first of all, you know, they, they do play some uh, teams in the West that the Revs only see twice a year, four or five times. That helps. Um, also, they haven't had the injuries or national team call-ups. So they, they play with the same 11 usually, night in and night out. And that's a big factor in, in a season like MLS is where you have the same guys playing night in and night out. You get a really cha good chance to build familiarity with your teammates. You know the right moves they're going to make. And that, that was exactly what we saw last night. I mean, they they built up better, and they had to, you know, they always knew where a teammate would be to get the ball to to advance it forward. Well, also with, the, with them, uh, they were out with 
they had played without Mark Chung. They had him that night off on the head without Eddie Robinson. So they did have to switch up their lineup a little bit from the week before. Yes, but uh, when even with the two injuries and resting they did, it's not like the Revolution, who early in the year were dealing with four or five people who are out and uh, through injury and or call-ups. So it's definitely a familiarity. Even the second-teamers uh, have played with each other a lot in the reserve setup, which is great because, it, you know, you don't have these guys who have been sitting on the bench gathering splinters the entire year getting some meaningful playing time. And we're discussing uh, the Rookie of the Year debate. Uh, Parkhurst and the Res defense obviously hasn't looked as sharp, uh, giving up the five goals to uh, the Metro Stars and two goals here, but Parkhurst has really been ever-present in the Res defense and has become a, a great player for the team. And uh, in, in your mind, who do you think the Rookie of the Year should go to? I, th- I think Rookie of the Year... Uh, should be the, it's almost like a most valuable player, um, and you can't argue that Michael Parkhurst uh, did not play. Has, he's basically played just about every minute this season for the Revolution, and Seely, even though he has the nine goals, which is great for a rookie, has found himself on the bench in a crunch time situation. That that tells you a lot about how much he's valued in that setup right now. So I would go to Michael Parkhurst definitely as rookie of the year. And uh, we were discussing the U.S. Open Cup final, which happened last Wednesday. Uh, Galaxy obviously won the Open Cup uh, one to nothing against Dallas. Dallas uh, really didn't put much of a threat; only got one shot on target there. Um, and but they were really missing some of their offensive web- weapons in Eddie Johnson, Carlos Ruiz. But uh, at the same time, uh, Los Angeles was the home team in the in the game and really uh, controlled the the match defensively and got the one goal they needed. Uh, what do you think of that matchup? And what do you think needs to be done to make the U.S. Open Cup uh, more noticed? Well, it, it was really a shame that this was the, um, you, you see other nations with the knockout competitions, the Cubs, like the FA Cup in England, and that's, you know, basically the last match of the season, the biggest match of the year, you know, that's the really biggest thing over there. Here, it's more of an afterthought. Uh, we saw what happened here in New England when uh, we played Chicago in the U.S. Open Cup, and we played basically a second team. I'd really like to see it used as like a tiebreaker as in MLS. To, have, to encourage folks to uh, treat it like a league match here and make it worth your time for playing. Because right now, for a lot of MLS teams, it's something to worry about if you get to the semifinal or the final. But when you're playing the lower league teams, you see, or even MLS teams in the earlier rounds, you see teams basically go, well, I don't want to get any of my starters hurt or tired out, so I'm just going to throw out every reserve I can get my hands on. And uh, we're discussing the U.S. national team upcoming game. Um, we see seven Revs players called up for that match, four San Jose players, uh, also eight Revs players, if you Ricardo Phillips for Panama. Uh, who, who do you expect to see getting some time in that match? And who are some of the players that, on the Revs that you think have a shot at making the World Cup? Well, I, I do think Taylor Twelman, there, there is a spot on the national team for a forward who can, uh, has a good strike rate, who scores a lot. And if Taylor Twelman gets good service, he can definitely fill that role. Clint Dempsey, I think, has hit a wall here. He's been playing nonstop for almost two full years now, and it shows. He, he is tired. He lacks the mental sharpness that he had last year and earlier this year. Uh, but I, I think... Uh, uh, Hernandez could definitely play his way onto the team if he shows up well in the Panama game. Might get a ch- couple chances in the friendlies. But right now, everybody, I think, is on edge. There's a lot of spots open on Bruce's roster. 
and they need to see who fits in the system best. So I wouldn't, I, I, everybody's a firm maybe right now at bet. Maybe Ralston, Noonan, but uh, Ralston has not had the best games for the national team, and neither has Noonan. So they really have to step it up over the next six, eight months if they're going to go to Germany. And now uh, we got to wrap things up here, but uh, what, is, what is your prediction for the upcoming game for the Revs against Kansas City? Kansas City, we're down several guys, but I think they're going to get at least a point on the road, which is huge in the uh, Eastern Conference race, and come home and win it on, against Chicago in two weeks. Well, thanks for joining us, Dave. Hey, you too. You have a great day. And that was David Yelp, uh, the Revolution fan, uh, a member of the Midnight Riders. And uh, we're talking about the upcoming U.S. national team game. Uh, that's going to be at Gillette Stadium October 12th. And, uh, and then the next Revs home game is going to be at Gillette Stadium, I believe, the 15th, uh, against Chicago Fire, the final game of the season. Uh, so that should be a great game, and it could have implications on which team uh, takes the Eastern Conference title at that point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, regardless of the result in Kansas City, uh, the, the revolution, uh, I don't believe we'll be resting anyone. We need to get these guys all uh, playing together because uh, the, the various people have been in and out. So we want them all to get uh, the, the time playing together. Maybe that um, uh, is one of the reasons why Steve Nichols reduced the number of substitutions. Uh, but regardless, if, if we get everybody healthy and uh, we get everybody, uh, that hopefully it, it's definitely not going to be the, uh, the the last game at the stadium because the Revolution's qualified for the playoffs. Uh, but hopefully with the home field advantage, uh, we'll get the results at home and we'll have a couple more home games beyond Chicago and then on to Dallas. And uh, before we go here, we talked to you about RevNet.com before, but are there any updates with RevNet and uh, what can fans get out of RevNet uh, now? Well, uh, you know, there w we have some very good writing on there. Uh, Mike Marshall does uh, excellent uh, game reports and um, analysis. And, uh, you know, Tom Hill, when he contributes, has always got uh, something to say that's, uh, uh, you know, reflective of uh, the intelligent soccer fan's perspective. And uh, Jim Dow, of course, uh, has contributed great pieces uh, all year, as he has for the last couple of seasons. Uh, we appreciate what he's done for us. Uh, I try to contribute uh, some of the images that uh, go along with those articles and, to, and try to bring to the fans, uh, you know, a, a better level of, um, uh, you know, they say that uh, pictures tell a thousand words, and uh, I try to capture the moments in the game that uh, if you didn't see it, it it's, uh, sometimes goes by so fast that when you look at those stills, you remember those moments, but you didn't see the detail that you see in some of these images. And that it, it's a form of art that I... I have enjoyed trying to bring to the people that's not available in, in the dailies or even in the magazines in the same uh, consistent uh, format that we bring on RevsNet. So I hope everybody appreciates it. Well, we got to wrap things up here. Uh, you can get the latest archives of the show at revolutionrecap.com. Uh, join us next week. We're here every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. bringing you the latest uh, action of the New England Revolution in Major League Soccer. Um, and you can get the latest Rev news at uh, RevNet.com, Tony's site, as well as anyrevs.com. I'd like to thank David Yellow for calling in today, and I'd like to thank Tony Biscaya for joining us in the studio today. Thank you. You are listening to 1320 WARL Attleboro Club.